members, and all of them being recipients of the goodness of God, and yet um, we can be like the other nine who don't quite appreciate it because we didn't realize how much we needed it, maybe. And this morning, even as we look at this very familiar story of Zacchaeus, um, hopefully we see ourselves in a couple places, but we might see ourselves even among the grumblers, the one who saw somebody who was hated getting God's goodness poured on him. And we might be like those people as well. Recognizing our self-righteousness and our either um, lack of understanding of how much we need him or maybe thinking that we only need God really a little bit um, is a danger because it will block up the manner in which God wants to pour his grace on, on myself and on us. It will impede us from seeing just how immeasurable God's grace is uh, this morning. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. Before I read it, I just want to kind of set the stage here. It comes right in verse, chapter 19, verse 1, talking about Jesus. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. If you remember in the story of Bartimaeus at the beginning of the series, it says Jesus had passed through Jericho and he met Bartimaeus on the side of the road. And we talked about the fact that there was an old Jericho that had crumbled and fallen apart the old city, and Jesus had gone through the old city, and there's a, a, a section of road about a half a mile or so before the new city of Jericho being built. It had uh, Herod's summer, kind of his a spring break palace was built there, and they met Bartimaeus along the way, and there's this great change in this man, and then the, a, a, a enlarging group of people had gathered, and they were all rejoicing as they walked along with Jesus as they entered into the main city of Jericho. Jesus passes through Jericho, and we've already been told that he has set his eyes and his sights on Jerusalem. He is going to Jerusalem to give his life. As a matter of fact, the next story that happens is Jesus is going to be entering into Jerusalem with Palm Sunday, which is next Sunday, right? Um, we're, we're right on that course there, and he's going to be entering into the city. So he is right on the cusp of giving his life, and he is at the point where I am not going to stop anymore. We are, we are going to this point. This is the time where I'm going to. And so he passes through the city of Jericho. All this stuff is going on, people gathering around. It's a big event, and he's coming out of Jericho at this point in Luke chapter 19, verse 1, and um, moving outside of the city, heading towards um, Jerusalem on his way. So he's been passing through um, this place, set his path, and he's moving that. And we're going to meet another person along the way, Jesus is going to meet this man named Zacchaeus, who we have all sung about when we were little kids. And we discover the fact that man is, he's low, he is greedy, he is enslaved, and he is hated by everybody. Church tradition actually tells us that in the years to come, this change that happens, Zacchaeus, bore fruit. Um, there's There's two church traditions about him. They both actually may be true. One is that he is actually the same person as Matthias, who was chosen by the disciples to take the place of Judas as one of the disciples. Another one by Clement, who wrote in the second century, a pretty reliable source, identifies Zacchaeus as the bishop of Caesarea, which would have been the main elder of the church that developed in Caesarea. And if those are true and they're pretty reliable sources, this something incredible happens here. And it, it bears fruit in the years and years down the road in this man's life. And the question is, what happens here and how does it happen what kind of transformation happens in somebody? What, what, what brings something like this about, and what does that speak um, to us? So go ahead and stand as I read uh, this passage from Luke chapter 19. And you might just close your eyes on this one. We all know the story. 
Zacchaeus, he goes to the tree, and all these things happen. So, but just listen to it. I'm not even going to talk about the structure of this story very much, but this, this true story was just the, the story structure here is crafted in a really incredible way, the way Luke tells his story. And there's verbs here about running and curring and coming down and going up and, and all these things. So just let, it, let, it, um, let the story freshly rest on your heart and mind this morning as I read these words. So Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through. There was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, but was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus, for he was about to pass through that way. Now, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So Zacchaeus hurried and he came down and he received him gladly. But when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped. And he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus was saying to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Lord, uh, we are all of that group, the lost. And you came to seek and to save us. And for those of us who have received that, we thank you for that gift. I pray this morning you would remind us of the greatness of the grace that we didn't just need for salvation, but we need in our day. And you might reveal that into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's four, uh, four key words we're going to walk through here. Four words, real simple. First one is perishing. Verse 2, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. We start out with a man who's perishing. His name is Zacchaeus. The name means righteous one. Everywhere Zacchaeus went, people called him by his name, or either they didn't talk to him at all, was just possibly the case here. And he would say his name, and in a culture where everybody understood names and what they meant, it was like a slam because he was not righteous. His name is, means righteous one or pure one, and he's not Um, His name and his character don't match. And it tells us why here. It says he was a chief tax collector. So in that culture that day, Roman come in, they were the oppressing group, and they didn't want to use up all of their people for doing administrative things, so they would hire, basically contract out with people who would collect their taxes for them. So somebody like Zacchaeus would set up a contract with Rome to collect her taxes. They would say, in this particular region, you need to collect this amount of money. And he would say, I'll do that. And all his job was, with their backing, was to collect a set amount of money which he owed to Rome. For his own pay, he could add on to that whatever he wanted to do or whatever he could do. It was totally legal for him to do so. And whatever he could add on to that, that would become his pay. So he would contract, I need to gain $100 a week from this territory, and he would collect 200 or whatever, and he'd pocket the extra $100. Um, and, so he, and he had their backing to do that. By the way, the taxes that people had to pay, who did they go to? They went to their oppressors. Um, now, we may think of our money going to an oppressor. 
But um, it's not the same. This is, they were a conquered nation underneath the arm and the hand and the army of Rome who mistreated them and took away all their rights. And all the money that they would give had to go to them. So if we think we have a bad believing, we don't have anything like this. And so Zacchaeus would collect the money. But he, he was not just a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. What that means is there's a bunch of junior tax collectors that he would hire, the little minions that he would have, and they would also go out and collect tax. So he would say, we need to collect all this money, and he would have all these different tax collectors who each had a little region of his, his region. And kind of like a... Um, like a giant Ponzi scheme or something, you know, a pyramid scheme, whatever, something system. And they would collect their money, and they would add on to what they would collected enough to pay what they wanted and enough to give Zacchaeus a cut of that amount. So Zacchaeus would get money from all of them. They all had to pay out to him, and then he would collect as well. So he wasn't just a tax collector, but he was the tax collector. And so he would collect all this money, and he was pouring it in, and all of his little minions were all paying him money as well. And so all this stuff is coming in. It was a good deal for him, bad for everybody else. He was ripping people off, basically legally ripping people off. Um, he was taking from them. He was defrauding them. He was considered a traitor because he's, he's working underneath the Roman government in opposition to his people. He's bankrupting people, um, taking Anything they've got extra is gone. And understand, we have a group of people that are poor and oppressed. And if you've ever lived life financially without any margins, you know what happens when the smallest thing comes along that was unexpected. It can be a, it can be a $40 tire that pushes you. And here these people are living without any margins, probably below that. And this guy is coming along, and he's taking, and he's taking, and he's taking, and they're going lower and lower and lower. They're, they're hurting. And it says here that he was rich. The idea for rich here is not just he's got a little extra, but it's the rich where he's building barns and filling it up because he doesn't know what to do with it all. Um, this is embarrassing, but I don't hardly ever watch TV, but I do watch one show. Um, I watch um, Shark Tank. Um, I don't know why I like that show, but... Um, it's got these people that they have lots of money, and people get, try to get them to invest in their money. But when it describes them in the beginning, it's interesting that the, um, the, the men on Shark Tank are small in stature, um, and it describes them as being filthy rich. And this is describes Zacchaeus. He's rich beyond, beyond measure, and his riches all came from bad sources. He's filthy rich. He's got it all, and he has all these things. And as a result of that, guess how the people feel towards him? No surprise. They hate him. The people hate Zacchaeus. He's, he's, he's ostracized. He's pressed outside the bound. He's living on the edge of, of their community because nobody wants to be around him. And people hate him. They don't want to see him. Interesting that in the chapter before this, Jesus meets another rich man, a rich young ruler. Remember that? And Jesus tells him to give away, take everything you've got and give it to the poor. And the man walks away sad because he was enslaved to having it. And we have a man here who's identical, but he have, different in that he's not righteous. He's not trying to keep the Ten Commandments at all. He doesn't care. But he's identical in that he's enslaved to what he's got. He's got wealth, and he's got power, and he can do what he wants, and he's been enslaved to it. So we have a man who, by all standards, is perishing. Um, from God's perspective, it's a man who's wasting life, who's been given a gift, and it's just being wasted. 
He's moving through life, making it and managing it to his own ends, and it's not going to bring anything um, in the end for him. And he's just hurting people. It's a life not really lived. There's no foundation to it. His life is full of deceit. He's been rejected by his own people, and he has completely sold out everything of value as a person for the sake of money and the sake of power. And that's who we have here, a life being thrown away. And the question might come up, is there grace enough for somebody like that? Is there grace enough for a person like that? And my first thought is, I'm not like that. I was never like that, you know, that thought. The fact is, outside of Christ, we're all Zacchaeus. That's who we all are. And is there grace enough? Wait, guess what? Remember the woman that was washing Simon's, Jesus' feet? That culture said there was not grace enough for her, and Jesus gave it. And in this culture, they would have said, there's not grace enough for a person like this. There is not grace enough. You do not win a person like this because they don't deserve it. And yet we are all like that outside of the work of Christ. So we have a man who's perishing. We have a man who's perishing. Verses 3 and 4, we also have the word seeking, a man who's seeking. It says here, Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him. He's a man who was seeking. What was he seeking? It's a good question. Did he just want to kind of, um, it says here, it says he wanted to see who Jesus was. The implication of that is he didn't know, at least he didn't know Jesus' face. He must have heard about him, otherwise why would he go see him? So he must have heard a lot about Jesus, heard the stories, perhaps some of his um, and I don't know if Zacchaeus had friends. I'm going to guess he did, because usually when someone's got a bunch of money, there's some friends around. They're not real friends, but they're the friends that are looking for something from him. So he had his group of people. He'd throw his parties. They would come. Somehow he had heard stories about Jesus. Somehow maybe some of those that hung around him had actually maybe been changed. We don't know. Um, perhaps, perhaps he had tried to extract money from the disciples. We don't know what's going on, but somehow he had seen something, but he wants to seek him. And maybe it's just to put a name to a face. Or maybe it's just that he's curious. But the fact is, what happens in this story tells me that he was seeking something more. There was something else going on, because there is an immediate transformation that happens in him. And so I suspect that Zacchaeus was at some point in life where something had happened, or some things had happened, that had at least prodded down deep enough to make him suddenly realize a certain loneliness or an isolation or a need, or some, sort, some measure of shame. There was something, I think, going on inside of him. Something that prompted him to think, and maybe never share it with anybody, but down deep thinking, I'm just not happy with this. There's got to be something. There had to be some touch in the longing of his heart. That something was going on that caused him to end up responding the way he does at this. So he goes to seek Jesus. Um, it must have run deeper. There must have been some awareness of his isolation and corruption and his shame. So he he, he goes on to want to see something about Jesus and longing for something. And he wonder, so how hard did he seek? How hard was he looking? Well, it tells us here that he looked really hard. It says here, first of all, he ran in the midst of them and was trying to see Jesus pass away. So Jesus is walking through all these people and the kids and the animals and everybody yelling and screaming and people are shouting and, and singing because Bartimaeus is there too. And he can't see because the people are too tall. So when I was going into high school, I was under five foot going into high school. I couldn't see past anybody. 
You know, all the girls looked like, they're like up here, you know, on me. And you can't see past anybody. And I know what that feels like, to trying to see, and there's somebody in front of you, you just cannot see. And that's Zacchaeus here. He's actually trying to see Jesus, and he can't see through, whether they're keeping him out because they don't like him, or he's just too small, he can't see. And so you kind of think of him jumping or doing something, trying to see who he is, and he can't do it. So he decides, I'm going to get out in front where he can see him, because there's outside of the city, there was trees. And there's a sycamore tree down the road here. And so it says here that he ran and then he climbed in a tree. Cultural background will tell you that in that day, men in Palestine did not run unless they were stealing something, apparently. Um, And they did not climb trees. Men do not run. They do not climb trees. Remember the story of the uh, prodigal son and the father runs out to meet him? Um, Men don't run back then. Men just did not run. They got their robes on, and they would sit, and they would be dignified. And Zacchaeus here runs. And this is huge, because if anybody saw him running, he would be ridiculed. You just Men did not run. It's like um, the chief justice of the United States coming out of the courthouse and deciding to get a hot dog and running down the street in his robe. It would look like that. It would be s- silly. And then, and then see the guy climb a tree and sit up there and eat his hot dog. That's kind of what it would be like, okay? So you have Zacchaeus running, which they don't run, and you have him climbing. I, I love climbing trees. But back then, you did not do that. You just you don't climb a tree. And so he climbs up this tree. And that tells me that he desperately, desperately wanted to see Jesus. He was willing to just let it all be out there. And whatever anybody thinks, they think it. And he just doesn't care at that point. He wants to see Jesus that much. So he runs ahead, and he climbs up into this tree. And it says that he's hiding up in this tree. It tells us we've got him up in this tree. Sycamore trees had low branches, so he could get up there pretty easily, even a little guy. And it had lots of leaves. And I don't think Zacchaeus was like up there waving, Jesus, see me. He wasn't doing that. I think he's in the branch, huddled down there, hiding in the leaves so that he could just see. That's all he wanted to do, just see Jesus. And I also think, I don't think he wanted to be seen by anybody. By the way, if anybody had already seen him run, you know, he was already embarrassed enough as it is. So he climbs up in his tree and he's hiding. Doesn't it remind you of the garden? What happened in the garden? Adam and Eve, they sin. And what do they do? They cover themselves with leaves and they hide. And here's a man I think, I think, was becoming aware of his sin. Maybe for the first time, was really getting in touch with it. And he's hiding in a tree and he wants to see Jesus. Interesting that uh, Bartimaeus cries out loudly, so loud that everybody is disturbed by it. Zacchaeus is quietly hiding in a tree, but I think he also wants to see Jesus in some of the same ways. Interesting, at the end of this story, it tells us that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus was seeking, but the truth is, somebody else was seeking as well. And who was that? It's Jesus. Jesus was always looking, always seeking, and he's looking for those whose hearts... There And he's looking for Zacchaeus, and we discover that that's exactly what he does. And Zacchaeus was a lost man. He had lost everything that would make him what we would say as an acceptable person. He had given it all up. He had squandered everything that called for life and was perishing. And Jesus wants to save it all and restore it. Comes to our third word. Our third word is inviting. Inviting. Verses 5 and 6. When Jesus came to the place, by the way, Jesus is walking along, Bartimaeus is hiding, and Jesus gets that spot, and he stops. It says he stops. What do you think Zacchaeus was thinking? 
Um, either, either he's hiding more or he's thinking, oh, no, I can't believe this. I hope nobody starts looking. You know, maybe he's just tying his sandal or something, you know. Just staying there, he stops, and there's this, there's this moment of the stopping and the waiting, and he's kind of like, what is about to happen? Because he doesn't want to be seen. So it says here that Jesus um, came to the place, understood as the place where Zacchaeus was, and it says Jesus looked up. All of a sudden he looks up, and guess what every eye was doing? Every person there were all looking up, whether he was right there or I don't know how high in the tree he was. I would imagine as high as he could go. They all looked up at the same time. And I don't know if people started laughing. I don't know if people pointed. I don't know if people were too afraid of Zacchaeus to say anything. We're not really sure what's going on here. But there's this moment, all of a sudden, Zacchaeus is found out. And everybody's looking, and Jesus is looking right at him. Jesus looked at him, and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And I love this. It says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. So what does Zacchaeus do? He hurried, and he came down. And it says, and he received him gladly. Zacchaeus received Jesus gladly. Jesus stops. He, he, he looks. All the eyes are following him. And then he speaks to him. By the way, nobody spoke to Zacchaeus, I doubt. People did not want to speak to this man. And Jesus speaks to him, and he calls him by his name. He says, Zacchaeus. It's like looking up at the tree and go, hey, righteous one up there. Righteous one, that's you. And everybody's thinking, no way. But he calls him by his name. He gives him his name. He says, come down and eat with me. And Zacchaeus comes down and receives him. Two things here. One, interesting, Jesus invites himself over for dinner, by the way, um, and perhaps even to sleep tonight. You don't do that anywhere, I don't think, any culture. you know. And, and he didn't just invite himself, but he's got 12 guys with him that all need a place to sleep. And he invites them all. He basically says, we're all coming to your house, and you're going to cook for us, and we'll probably spend the night, which is what they would do. Um, you, you don't do that, but Jesus does it. And I love that Jesus does it. He says, I'm going to go. But the big thing about here is Jesus says, I'm, gonna, I'm with this guy. That's what he does. He says to everybody around them that this man right here that you hate, I'm with him. And he aligns himself with Zacchaeus. You didn't even go into somebody's house like that because you'd be defiled. He says, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to eat with them. I'm going to spend the evening with him, and I'm going to sleep in this house. And he tells everybody the same thing. He says, I am with you. I know you. I know your name, and I choose you. And Jesus associates with Zacchaeus. And in a sense, he associates with Zacchaeus' sin. And we see this because what happens to the crowd? They're not even making fun of Zacchaeus. All their attention turns to Jesus, and they ridicule Jesus. What's wrong with this man that he would go and spend time with somebody like this? I kind of wonder, what is Zacchaeus, um, what is Zacchaeus experiencing that, that moment? That moment of having spent a life just bringing hatred upon himself and isolation, and suddenly he's standing face-to-face with Jesus. Everybody's looking. And Jesus says, you are the righteous one. I am going to spend this night with you in your house. I kind of wonder what was going on in his heart at that moment. At that very moment that for the first time, someone speaks to him and accepts him and reaches out to him and gives love and grace to him in the midst of everything, despite the cost from it. I imagine his heart just went, yes. The first time, first time ever. I just imagine it just exploded with that. 
Perhaps that is what um, you may have felt, and I, I can remember feeling that way the first day that God's grace came into me and I was aware of it. And just that, that wonder of, yes, I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. Now, later on, we forget about that, don't we? But he experienced that in the moment. Unlike Simon, who we saw late earlier, who did not wash his Jesus' feet, I imagine when Jesus got to Zacchaeus' house, he brought out the oil and the water and washed his feet and washed the disciples' feet, got everybody busy. I, I, he's, he um, spared no expense to treat Jesus like he should have been treated in that home. Fourth word here. Fourth word is restoring, verses 7 through 10. When they, it's always they, right? By the way, the they can be us. When they saw it, they began to grumble. He's gone off to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Yes, indeed, he has. And Zacchaeus stopped right at that moment. And he speaks to him. He says, Lord, he calls him Lord, which is significant. And he says, I'm going to take half of everything I've got and I'm going to give it to the poor. And if I've defrauded anybody of anything, and by the way, he's defrauded tons of people of stuff. That's why he's so rich. He's going to give, I'm going to give him back four times as much. Four times as much. Interesting, verse 6, it says, Jesus, uh, Zacchaeus comes down, and Zacchaeus receives Jesus. He receives grace immeasurable in his life, is what he gets. And the, the overflow of grace immeasurable is that he gets is restored to living again. The man is a restored man. He's brought back alive again from living a, a life of perishing and, and death to suddenly being restored to life again. And then he becomes a giver of that same restoration, that same grace. Zacchaeus receives God's grace fully because he knows just how needy he was. There was somewhere along the line, all of a sudden God got through to him, and he understood, I am the most needy person there is. And he's ready for his grace. And most of us came to that place when we came to Christ. The people who grumble, all they see is we have little needs. And this guy doesn't deserve anything. And they don't even recognize their own depth of need. Or they would have said, this is appropriate. This is right because look what I got. He should get the same. But they didn't see it that way. They saw that they just had a little need. And that anything they get is gotten because you kind of deserve it. Um, and I think the same way way too often. Instead, Zacchaeus, as he, God brings him to this place of deep need, he says, yes, I'm the needy one. I'm the desperate one. I'm the lost one. And as a result of that, he gets restored to life. He gets restored to his name as the righteous one. He's restored to relationship with himself and with Christ himself. He's going to be given new purpose and new meaning. He's going to experience peace for the first time in his life. And the image of God is going to get magnified in him. He becomes a restored man. And he shows it by giving restitution here. Um, it says he pays back for wrong that he's done. By the way, he doesn't pay back to get God's love. He already had it. He doesn't get pay back to get God's mercy. He already had that as well. He doesn't do it to get his love or his favor or even acceptance. All those things were already his. The restitution was an overflow of gratitude in his life, as the grace poured into him and could fill him up because he knew his need, then the grace begins to pour out. Mark Driscoll says that repentance plus restitution equals rejoicing, and that's exactly what we get here. Repentance plus restitution, paying back, 
leads to rejoicing in his life. And that rejoicing flows out. As a matter of fact, we don't see it in the story, but I imagine that there was a wave of rejoicing that spread out in this entire community among the grumblers. Because what happens? First of all, half of everything he has gets given to the poor. There is a... There is, um, Mike, think of what would happen in our community if everybody took half of what they had and gave it away to this, the service of the poor in our community. You would not be able to, it would be unmistakable change um, in our community. So there's this huge amount of wealth, and he takes it, and he just, all of a sudden, there's a whole group of people who are just hanging on, and all of a sudden, they've got enough food to get fat on. I mean, they are just like, wow, what happened here? Rejoicing spreads out. The grace spreads out. Things change. And then he says, those who I've defrauded, I'm going to take four, give them back four times as much. Everybody who got cheated and had been angry for good reason for a long time suddenly all get this check in the mail, and it's four times more than what they lost from the guy. And they're getting it from a guy they hate. Suddenly, even just on an economic level alone, the entire community is transformed in a day, as he gives us back. The grace pours out, and there's immediate change, even in their community, in a very, very practical, the whole, practical way. The whole community gets impacted. The grumblers themselves get grace and goodness, and the people's lives around him are dramatically changed because of the grace of God being poured out through one man. There's restoration and justice and life and wholeness again. Luke chapter 4, where Jesus begins his ministry, he opens up a book, He reads these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set free those who are oppressed. That happens, and that's what happens in the story. The whole thing happens. Zacchaeus, a man who's who's, um, enslaved and oppressed and captive, is suddenly unleashed, and God's grace pours out, and then the result of that is other people even the ones that he oppressed get freedom and life and grace as God's word moves out. Isn't that a great story? It's a story that every one of us that knows Christ, it happened in us. That same grace, that same, we all had the same need, and that same immeasurable grace gets poured out. Um, but we forget, don't we? Um, we, get, we get to kind of be like the people that think, well, at this point, no, I need a little help and a little, I have a little bit of need, and the rest I'm kind of doing okay with. And we manage these things and structures to make it look that way. And, and so then we only experience or at least recognize a little grace. And so how much grace do we have to give? Just a little. And so we withhold it from people, and we withhold it from things. Three things here in closing. Uh, the first one. God's, God's grace is way bigger than we think it is. I don't care how big a picture we get of it. It is way bigger than we think of it. Um, when we think we've got a grasp on things, man, God is so gracious. It's more than that. It's more. It goes beyond. Um, there's, there's no person or life that is outside the reach of God's grace. Um, none. And we think there is because we, we think that way. Um, but we all have the same need, and the grace is greater than we think it is. The only way to um, begin to understand how great it is is to let the Holy Spirit take us 
down to those deep places of neediness where we understand just how needy we are. And he's kind of saying, he says, come along, I want to show you how much you need me. Um, And we don't want to go there, as we were talking before. But guess what? When we go that place, guess what we find there? We find find that grace is bigger than we thought it was. Um, We find that his help and his, his work in us just kind of, it gets filled up in that place more than it ever got in the places where I've managed well my life. He wants to take us to those places of our deepest need. The table behind me reminds me of how great our need was and what Christ had to pay to bring a solution to our need. But even as believers, that neediness for him does not change. Second of all, um, and just on the, this is a small thing, but on the, we've talked about this before, particularly in Ephesians, that we all have a name given to us by him. And that name is beloved, it's child of God, it's restored, it's redeemed. Um, no matter what's gone on, we all have the name of saints and righteous ones on us because of what Christ has done. And he speaks our name. And then thirdly, God's overflowing, immeasurable grace is meant to be given. It's meant to be given. Um, it's meant even to be given to the grumblers in your life and the people that have wronged you and hurt you. Um, it's meant to be given to those um, who don't even recognize their need. Um, as, as it pours in us, God wants his people, the church, to be the instruments and the outflow of God's immeasurable grace to people that need it. Um, and there, there's a world that is, doesn't even recognize how desperate they are for it, that need to experience God's grace. And we, um, I kind of um, bind it up by my small sense of neediness. And so small grace comes through. And God wants to break that through and make a change in our world. And it's given to all people. Cameron and, uh, and Mikey, you guys can come on up. As we uh, take some time to sing, um, let me suggest something. Um, the table here is open, and there's one in the back as well. If you know the Lord, you can come up as a reminder of what he's done for us and his abiding grace for us all the time. Um, but you might dare just to say, Lord, just show me, remind me how much I need you. Just show it to me. That's so scary to pray that because he'll do things to make us realize we need him. Um, he will break down the structures that we build around our life that build us up and make things feel like they're going well. But they're of our own making, and those things, he doesn't want those there. He wants to be the only thing that holds us up. And you'll find that even though it's a hard place to go, um, he's there. His grace is there. His strength is there. His work is there. Um, he does incredible things in people's lives when they go to those places of need. So you might just uh, pray that even as we sing, and then give him thanks that his grace is immeasurable. It never ends. It just pours on and on and on and on in our life. Lord, we ask for your, uh, your gentle way of um, steering us to places of recognition of our great need. My breath comes from the palm of your hand. We thank you for abilities and gifts and the things that we can do, and yet we want to recognize that um, they flow from you to us. And this day will not work for any of us, Lord, outside of your work in our life. It just won't. So bring us to greater openness to seeing that. And in that place, Lord, that we might, um, even in this week, have some 
hard to describe experiences of the wonders and the greatness of your grace. So meet us in that place in Jesus' name.